We are glad that you're with us. It's good to worship God with you today. I'm excited as we wrap up our Road to Recovery series, and I want to invite you all to join us next week as I have a special Christmas sermon for you. Also on Christmas Eve, we have a separate service for you this year, another message. So I want to invite you just to be a part of our whole Christmas uh, schedule this year. It's so fun. It'll be a blessing to you. So be there for it and invite someone to come with you. We're in the middle of wonderful winter, so we're giving all of our families a gift today when you pick up your kids out of uh, Kids Church or the nursery. We've got a gift for you. And one of the things in there I want to highlight is a, a special 12-day devotional to go through with your children. And we've included special things in that box for you. And you can take communion together. And it's going to be a real blessing to your family as you, as you are a part of that. I want to also thank everyone who participated in our Kingdom Builders offering last week. You are a generous church. And I I am just so grateful for you. Y'all gave over $130,000, and man, I'm just amazed at what God continues to do, but let me just say this as well, that some of you, man, maybe you're still planning to give. You can do that throughout the end of the year here. Any end of the year giving, it's just going to be a part of what God's doing, and he's going to use it. So as we wrap up this series today, The Road to Recovery, I think this last step, we're going to cover steps seven and eight of this journey today, and I think this is going to help you. We've been talking the last few weeks about hurts and habits and hangups and how God wants to bring those problems out of the dark, maybe where they've been hiding, into the light where he can heal you and then use you. Today, I want to talk about how to stay on the road to recovery because this road is not linear. Oftentimes, it's it's one step forward, two steps back, filled with ups and downs. It's not always easy. It is easy to fall back into bad patterns, isn't it? It's easy to, to struggle again with things that you thought you had bested. That's why every diet commercial today is like, diets don't work, right? Try our diet. It won't work either because <laughs> it's so hard until your new pattern of behavior becomes a new normal, and this series, just so you know, it's not just for people struggling with addiction. This is for all Christians who are trying to recover from the effects of sin in our lives. And that's me, that's you, that's every single one of us. We've all struggled and we need freedom. And so relapses happen in very predictable patterns. First, you start out with complacency and you think like, oh, this is no big deal. I've got this. I'm comfortable now with where I'm at and I don't need accountability anymore, which leads to confusion. You start to forget how bad it was when you were trapped in sin. You're like, oh yeah, it wasn't that bad. I don't think it was that big of a deal anymore. Like you just kind of forget and that leads to compromise where you, you start putting yourself in risky situations again or in tempting situations, which are dangerous. Like the, uh, the gambler that says, let's go to Vegas. We'll just watch the shows and it'll be great. So what can cause a relapse like this? The first thing is reverting to willpower. When you revert to your own willpower, that's when you say, like, I've got this. I can do it. I'm the one who's making it happen. Yeah. And in Galatians 3.3, 3, it says this. How can you be so foolish, <laughs> right? Like, you began by God's spirit, by his power. Do you now want to finish on your own power? That's not going to go well for you. Right. You start out trusting God, and then it's easy to get to this point where you think, oh, I'm the one that's doing this. Like, I'm making these changes in my power. When I was a young boy, like I was learning how to ride a bike. My uncle came into town to visit 
And he was like, I'm gonna help you learn how to ride this bike. And so what he did was he grabbed onto the back of this like big bike banana seat and I'm sitting on there and he's like, okay, I'm gonna give you a boost on the count of three, right? One, two, three, and he launches me. And so I start pedaling down the sidewalk and I'm like, they're pedaling. And I got this big grin on my, fin- my face and I'm like saying out loud, I'm actually yelling out loud, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then I look back and the whole time my uncle was holding onto the seat, running behind the bike so I wouldn't fall, right? And, and so on one hand, it was really sweet of him to help me succeed like that. On the other hand, this memory is burned into my brain because I'm embarrassed about my self-congratulation, right? Like, I'm doing it. No, you're not doing it. This is what we do as Christians a lot of times. We get a little bit of progress and we think, I am pretty awesome, We got to remember it's God who's giving us the power. In Zechariah, he says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You will succeed because of my spirit. Only God has the power to take away our defects and then keep us from them. So we relapse when we revert to willpower. The second thing is when we ignore one of the steps. We've talked about these steps, right? And they're actually all critical. Like I guarantee you, I would bet my last dollar. Last week, I talked about forgiving people who hurt you and making amends. And I bet you someone walked away from service last week and they thought, I don't need to do that. Like God would understand how badly I was hurt. He'll give me a pass. I'm just gonna skip that step. And, and when you do skip a step, you only receive a partial recovery. You gotta do every single step and trust God to work it out. All these steps are required or it doesn't work. The third thing that contributes to relapse is trying to recover without support. When you think like, I'll do it myself. It'll just be easier and simpler if I don't have to include other people in the process. And the truth is like, it won't. (laughs) If you think you're gonna do this on your own without being a part of a church, being a part of a life group, being a part of Celebrate Recovery, getting counseling, it's going to become a mess. You need help. It says in Ecclesiastes 4, it says this, two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's just too bad. Like, help, I've fallen, I can't get up, right? Like, it's tra- you need help. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. I love every time I share this verse on social media, there's always someone who's like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I'm like, you're, you're right. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian, but you do need to go to church to be a successful Christian. Do you wanna get by or do you wanna succeed? Because the thing that we struggle with often is denial. I think all of us have experienced denial at one point or another, right? And that's why we need each other because other believers in your life are like a mirror that show you the reflection of your struggles. And, and so that's gonna help you out having people in your life. Uh, otherwise, you're gonna wrestle with, with falling back into sin or temptation. The fourth reason that we struggle with relapse is because we become prideful. Pride leads to destruction. It says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Pride cometh before the fall. One of the things that pride does is it causes us to blame other people for our own problems, right? 
Like I've done this before, have you? Like it's not, it's not my fault. She did this. He, if he wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have done what I did. I wanna tell you a story. One guy, guy went to a psychiatrist because his wife wanted him to deal with his problems. And the psychiatrist said, I'm gonna show you some pictures and I want you to tell me what you see and I'll tell you what your problems are. So first he holds up a picture of a square. And the guy says, I see an apartment and inside there is a couple making love. And then he holds up a circle, the psychiatrist. And the guy says, I see a beach umbrella and underneath it, there's a couple on the sand making love. And then the psychiatrist holds up a picture of a, a teepee and the guy says, I see a Native American couple in that teepee and they're making love. And the psychiatrist says, stop, we don't need to go on any further. Your problem is you're obsessed with sex. And the guy says, me, obsessed with sex? You're the one showing dirty pictures. See, pride causes us to say, it's not my problem, it's your fault. It's not my fault, it's your fault. Oftentimes, our greatest weakness will be unguarded strengths. Things that we think we would never struggle with can sneak up on us and bite us when we're not looking. I heard, I heard about a pastor who was writing a book on marriage while having an affair how does that even happen? You've gotta be blinded by pride to get to that point. And the truth is, anyone could get to that point if they don't deal with pride. So how do you avoid this? How do you avoid relapse? Well, this is step seven. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and gain the power to do it. In Mark 14, verse 38, Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. In your spirit, you might say, like, I wanna do the right thing, but your body is weak and, and temptation is real. And so you've gotta watch. You gotta watch. You gotta be diligent. You gotta be on guard. So here are some safeguards to help you maintain recovery. The first is evaluation. You gotta do self-evaluation. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse five, it says, put yourselves to the test and judge yourselves to find out whether you are living in faith. Oftentimes people will say, don't judge me. I don't want people to judge me. Can I just tell you that you wouldn't have to worry about being judged as much if you would judge yourself more. Wow. And the Bible actually says to judge yourself. Put yourself to the test and ask, like, am I, really, am I really living out the faith right now? The question is, what should you evaluate? What should you be testing and judging? Well, I would encourage you to do this. Evaluate yourself physically. Like, what's my body telling me? Am I, am I tired? Am I hungry? Am I stressed out? Because we all know that if you're like that, you're not gonna make good decisions, right? You're in a vulnerable place, and when you're vulnerable, temptation becomes even more appealing. You gotta evaluate yourself emotionally. Like, what am I feeling right now? You don't wanna just bottle up your feelings and suppress them. Maybe you're like, oh, this is man not manly to deal with my feelings. Like, you know, it's gonna cause you to blow. It's not gonna go well. You wanna evaluate yourself relationally. Think about your relationships. Am I resenting anyone? Am I holding on to a grudge? Because that will hold you back from recovery. 
and you want to evaluate yourself spiritually, like, am I relying on God? Am I, am I trusting him and standing upon his word? One thing you could do is you could do a heart check, a heart check, just kind of a, an acrostic here, like, am I hurting, H? Am I hurting? Do I feel pain? Sometimes we just got to admit, like, it hurt. If we don't admit it hurt, God can't help us with that hurt. You gotta ask, E, am I exhausted? Am I just tired right now? Because I know like there's been some times I was tired and I was about to start acting a fool and all I really needed was a nap. Right. <laughs> am I angry? Uh, anger can make us do such embarrassingly stupid things. We gotta just recognize that if you're angry, it's not wrong to be angry, but it is wrong to sin in your anger. Or do I resent anyone? Like, am I, am I mad right now at that person holding on to a grudge and praying that a meteor hits them? Like, am I, am I, because if I am, I gotta deal with that. That's gonna hurt me. And then T, am I tense? Am I anxious? Am I stressed out? Because that's gonna cause some problems if I don't deal with it, deal with it. So when you do an inventory like this internally, just like a, a clerk at a grocery store, you wanna inventory the good fruit and the bad fruit. Right? We don't want to just focus on the bad all the time, and I think that's what we do too often is we just, well, what's wrong with my life? What am I not doing good enough? Like, what, what, where are my problems at? Where am I not fully happy and satisfied? We also got to look at the good things in our lives. So, so first, when you find bad fruit, you want to confess your failures to God. It says in Lamentations Chapter three, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. When you do find something in your life that's not right, don't just slither away and hide from God and hide from your friends and family. No, return to the Lord with your problems and failures. Confess them to God. He's the one that has the power to change you. And then when you find good fruit, celebrate. Celebrate your victories, no matter how small it is. Like, man, I told the truth at least one time today. I've been struggling with honesty, but today I told the truth at least once. Like, I've been struggling with my anger, and I only cussed one person out on the way to work today. Like, I smiled at two other cars. It's the little victories. It's progress. I got to celebrate progress no matter how small it is. You know why? Because God celebrates your progress no matter how small it is. I wish you knew that, that God celebrates even the little victories. In Galatians 6, 4, it says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. This is cool. This is when the Bible shows. There are some situations it's okay to be proud. It's okay to have pride about how God is changing you and helping you. You can be proud of yourself. As God changes you and develops you into the image of Christ, he's really the one that gets the glory, but it's okay. It's okay to be like, God, you're helping me to do it and I'm making progress. So you wanna self-evaluate and then you wanna do this. You wanna engage in meditation. Meditation is something that safeguards you uh, as you go about the recovery process. So when you think about meditation, I'm not talking about Eastern religion, just like chanting home, home, like clearing your mind. Like, I'm not, that's not it. It says in Psalm chapter one, happy are those who are always meditating on God's laws and thinking about ways to follow him more closely. They are like trees along a river that do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. And it says in Psalm 119, I thought about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Meditating on God's word will help you 
resist sin. How do you meditate on scripture? That's something people will ask. How do you do that? Like, how do you meditate on scripture? Well, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate because worry is just negative meditation. Worry is where you take a negative thought and you just think about it over and over and you chew on it over. Like, man, like if, if the kids don't get good grades and they're not gonna get into college and then they're gonna be poor and live in my house forever and it's gonna be, t- like, oh man, like if, if, that guy, if that boy doesn't propose to me then I'm gonna be single, I'm gonna be 50 years old, I'm gonna be an old widow and no one's gonna, like, like, oh man, if, I, if my job goes under, I'm gonna, be, oh, I'm gonna be helpless, I'm not gonna have enough and my, my kids are gonna be on the streets. Like you just, you just think about it. Oh no, oh no, what, what if this? happens over and over day and night that's meditation it's meditation on negative things so if you want to meditate on God's word you just replace the negative thoughts and fears with God's promises and truth you just hold on to God's word and you chew on it and you think about it over and over again and God will help you through that and then here's the third thing is prayer prayer helps you to maintain your recovery when you pray you just talk to God You just talk to God about your fears, your needs. You just give him thanks for good things. You tell him what you're thinking and you're feeling. Prayer makes the impossible possible. Amen? Amen. I heard a story about Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and he told his congregation one time about a woman in the church um, who had not gotten married yet, and so she was starting to get worried. She had since gotten married, but she was like 31. She hadn't gotten married yet. She hadn't had kids. And while she was still single, she wanted to put this in God's hand and hands and trust God with her future. And so she went to God in prayer. Each night, she put a pair of men's pants on the end of her bed. And every night, she would kneel down at the end of her bed and pray, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of pants here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) And so when Pastor Chuck told his church this story, you know, people laugh. And on the front row, he saw there was his family and like the mom and the dad were laughing. But there was this teenage boy sitting there like with a real serious look on her face, his face. And then um, weeks later, that boy's mom sent the pastor a letter and she said, pastor, I don't know if I should be concerned or not, but I need to get your opinion on this because I'm concerned. Every night when my son goes to bed, he hangs a bikini on the end of his bed. (laughs) Prayer makes the impossible possible. You never know, right? You got to bring your needs to God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, This is how you should pray. And you've probably heard this before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also uh, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So people often call this the Lord's Prayer. It's not really a good title. It really should be called the Discipleship Training Tutorial Prayer. Because Jesus didn't say this is what you should pray. He said this is how you should pray. It was an example. It was a model. It's like this is how to think about God and bring your needs to him and, and remember forgiveness and ask for his help and give him praise for being so great. And but what, God, what God doesn't want is he doesn't want you just to repeat this prayer over and over again mindlessly. In fact, in scripture it says don't babble on and on repeating the same words over and over again like the pagans do. God doesn't want you just to repeat the same prayer. He wants you to talk to him in conversation. 
Actually tell him what you think. Tell him what you need. Have you ever been in a situation where like you were telling someone about your life and you could tell they weren't that interested? Like you were interested to tell them, they weren't that interested to hear the story. But God is truly interested in every thought and feeling and need and fear that you have. He wants you to tell him. He cares. He wants to meet your needs. So talk to God in prayer and you'll experience lasting recovery. So I wanna do this next. I wanna show you a, a story of someone in our church who with God's help has experienced recovery for a long time. So check out this video of Deborah's story. Hello, my name is Deborah. I am a firm believer in Jesus Christ. I love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Matthew 22:37. Growing up, I remember at a young age, my mom would dress me and my sister in dresses with those big slips and white or black patent shoes. Later, around eight, I accepted Jesus and was baptized. A good life. Going to church every Sunday, then over to my grandmother's for lunch. My grandpa was a youth pastor. I thought my life was good. As I grew older, I started to notice my parents' marriage was not that good. We quit going to church. My grandparents moved away. That happy Christian family had disappeared. One night, my dad abused my mom. She was bleeding. At that moment, I told my dad I hated him. It wasn't long after that night that my uncle came and got me and my mom. Their marriage ended in divorce, and our family was separated. I lived with mom. I started smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol in junior high. I went to a pretty rough school. Lots of fights, drugs, and alcohol was used regularly. I would drink before school, during school, and after school. I smoked marijuana all day long. I could share with you many times I have witnessed death, but that would take a week. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Married, I had two beautiful daughters. Because of my mom's many prayers, I started attending church and sang in the choir. I had even quit drinking. My life was back on track with Jesus. Then we had to move because we could not afford the house payments anymore. The kid's father, he loved to gamble. He was not a good provider, which ended in divorce. I was so hurt that my life was such a mess, I started drinking again. My daughters served 
suffered because I was partying all the time instead of being a mom. I moved to Arizona where I got my first DUI in my 40s. My second, four years later, where I was sentenced to 30 days in Tent City. So many times there must have been 10,000 angels watching over me. In my years of drugs and drinking, I could never promise God that I would quit, knowing he was the only one who could save me. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Knowing my life had become unmanageable, I got down on my knees and I prayed to Jesus to help me stop and then promised him I would if he could make it taste like poison. I started attending Generation Church in 2008, where I have served in the nursery for 12 years. I run a women's life group and a leader in Celebrate Recovery. I have been sober for 14 years. I have four beautiful grandchildren, which two of them attend this church regularly. Through all my hurts, habits, and hang-ups, I have found CR. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is from is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. I am so blessed for Jesus, my Savior, my church, and this program. I can accomplish my goal and my boundaries in which he has set for me. Please don't give up. We at CR are here for you. We have been there and done it. You can too. God bless. Awesome. And God is good and he's doing stuff like that for so many people all the time. And that really sets us up for this last uh, part of the road to recovery and the why in the word recovery, it stands for yield. Yield myself to God, to be used, to bring the good news to others by both my example and my words. You wanna be used by God to help other people. God, he wants to recycle your pain to help other people. We live in a world that's all about you know, recycling right now, like environmentalism. God is the ultimate recycler. He'll take your pain and he will use it for good. And we often think that God only uses gifted people and talented people, but that is not true. God loves to use ordinary people. We think God likes to use our, our strengths. Like use me where I'm strong, God. That's not what he does. He uses our weaknesses. If he used our strengths, other people would be discouraged. They'd look at us and they'd go, oh, well, good for him. I could never be that way. But when God uses our weaknesses, other people have hope and they think, well, maybe God could help me too. 
So step eight is all about yielding to be used by God. And when you begin to practice this step to help other people, that's when you know you are really making progress on the road to recovery. It's no longer just all about me and how I was hurt, how I was wounded, all my habits and hangups. Right now, God is using me to help other people. And the focus has to go off of me to other people if I want to experience true freedom. So why does God allow us to go through painful situations? People ask this, why does God allow suffering in the world? You have to understand why in order to, I think, really be used by God and to have him uh, be able to use your pain for good. So why does God allow your pain? Let me talk about this. The first aspect is he gave you a free will. God gave you a free will and he lets you choose and make choices. In Genesis chapter one, it says, God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. How are you like God? In that you can make choices. You can choose between right and wrong, doing good or doing evil. God didn't have to do this. He could have created us all to be little robots. He could have made us little, little programmed puppets who are only capable of doing what's right. Some of you are like, that sounds a lot easier, but that would not be good. See, what God wanted was he actually wanted to have a loving relationship with you. And in order to love someone truly, you have to have the option to not love them. In order to be good, you have to have the option to be bad. And so God gives us free will to choose. I think we should be grateful for that. But free will is a blessing and also a burden. It's a blessing because we can choose, but it's a burden because sometimes we choose to do foolish things. And those choices get us into trouble and cause us pain. If I start experimenting with drugs and I become addicted and get into all kinds of problems, like that's not anyone else's fault, that's my fault. If I, if I get a DUI, that's not your fault, that's my fault. I can't turn around and be like, God, why did you let this happen? Like, no, I did that. And so it causes pain, but, but also because sometimes other people do hurtful things too. Like some of you have been hurt by like ex-spouses, friends, family, a teacher, a boss. And the thing is, God could have prevented your pain. All he would have had to do is take away that person's free will. But then he would have had to take away your free will also. So you see the dilemma? God lets us choose. That's why it's true. Sometimes I'll remind everyone that, that God doesn't send anyone to hell. People, people will ask, like, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? That's not how it works. People choose to go to hell by rejecting who God is and what he offers. God says, I love you and I wanna save you and forgive you and give you favor and bring you into my family. And people spend their whole lives saying, no thanks, leave me alone. And hell is where God finally says, okay, have it your way. God gives us free will and sometimes that leads to pain. The second thing is, God uses pain to get our attention. He allows pain sometimes because that's what it takes to get our attention. It's like a warning light. It's like a siren and an alarm going off in your soul saying that something is wrong. The pain is not the problem. The pain is a symptom of a problem. God wants to deal with your problem, which takes away the pain. In Proverbs 20, verse 30, it says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Been there. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. It's not fun when you're going through it, but sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes we don't change until we really feel 
the heat. In 2 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul wrote, now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. This is what God said. He said, I, I didn't want you to have to hurt, but if that's what it took to rescue you and, and help you change your ways, I'm glad that you went through the hurt. Like Jonah, Jonah says this, when I had lost all hope, I once again turned my thoughts to the Lord. Some of you, you won't turn to God until you lose all hope of pulling yourself out of the mess you're in. And that's why sometimes, man, I'm grateful for rock bottom because that's when we actually can stop trying to dig ourselves out of our troubles and turn to God and say, rescue me. That's what leads to freedom. So God wants to use it to get our attention. The third thing is God uses pain to teach us to depend on him. All of us, sometimes we, we get a little bit caught up in ourselves and think like, man, I can, I can do it on my own. Second Corinthians chapter one it says, we were crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who could save us and he did. He did help us. He can save us and he will help us. So pain can make you feel helpless. Like if you've been in a painful situation before, uh, part of the pain comes from knowing I can't do anything to fix this. I can't control other people and make them change. I can't fix my problems. I can't shake a bad habit or depression or anxiety, right? And so when pain brings you to that point of feeling powerless, all that's left is to turn to God and put it in his hands. Like I remember one time I had a kidney stone. Like that will make you feel powerless real quick. Just like curled up on a ball in the ground, like, please God, help me. Like, because like, I couldn't do anything. Like, Tylenol is not fixing that problem. And, and that's when you go, God, I need you. And that's what he does. He'll use this pain to teach us that we have to surrender our lives to God. In this series, we've heard several people talk about how, how pain led them to ultimately surrender to God. And now they're using their story to help other people experience the same freedom and recovery. And so this is the fourth thing. Why does God allow pain? He allows it to give you a ministry to other people. He wants to give you a ministry and your ministry is gonna come out of that pain. Your pain will lead you to your ultimate purpose. And this is what step eight's ultimately about. Let God use you, yield to him and let him use you to help other people. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. You need comfort today? He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. See that? He comforts us in all our troubles, not so we can just go, I'm comfortable. <laughs> but so that we can turn around and comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Everybody needs recovery of some type, maybe from mentally, uh, mental issues you're dealing with, physical issues, spiritual issues, relational problems. We all have hurts, habits, hangups. Nobody's perfect. And that's why your pain is so useful in God's hands. Because who can help someone recovering from alcoholism better than someone else who's already recovered from alcoholism? Who can help someone struggling with pornography better than someone else who's already shaken that trap? Who can help parents who are struggling with rowdy, rambunctious kids that are going wild better than parents who survived that nightmare? <laughs> God wants to use your pain. 
He wants to use your pain to help other people and he will use your mess and the messiness of your life to actually qualify you for ministry. He recycles that pain and uses it for the good of others, but he cannot do that if you don't allow him. If you keep your pain hidden, God can't use it. He can take it and he can use it for good. Like there's a great story in the Bible about Joseph and how his family betrayed him. His own brothers sold him into slavery. He was betrayed. He was treated unfairly. He was accused of things he didn't actually do. He was imprisoned. I mean, this guy suffered the ultimate injustice, but God's hand was upon him even in that mess. And God raised him up to a position of power. And one day Joseph came face to face with the very brothers who betrayed him. And they thought like, oh no, Joseph's about to get even with us. He's gonna settle the score. It's gonna be like off with their heads. But what did Joseph say? In Genesis 50, Joseph said this. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, there are people that intended to harm you. There are people that meant to hurt you and take advantage of you. Certainly the devil wanted to take you down, but the devil didn't know that all along God was weaving it together for good. And he was gonna turn it around and save other people's lives through what you went through and what you might be going through right now. He will use it for good. How do you use your pain to help other people? Here's the key to this. You do it by sharing your story of how Jesus rescued you from sin, from hurts, from bad habits and hangups. It says in 1 Peter chapter three, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Right? So people are gonna see you, you know, throughout your life, as you're going about your business, as you're interacting, as you're working, right, as you're playing, and they're gonna see, they're gonna see Jesus inside of you. Like how, how? They have x-ray vision? No, it's gonna shine. It's gonna shine from your face. It's gonna radiate from your life. You don't understand this, some of you, but people can tell you're different. Like, oh, she's different. Yeah, in a good way. They can see, and people are gonna ask you like, how do you have hope? How do you have hope in 2020? How do you, how do you have hope when things seem to be going wrong. And the Bible tells you, be ready to explain it. Can I just be real? Can I just vent for just a tiny second? Okay, just a quick, as a pastor, I get a little disappointed in how unprepared certain Christians are to explain their faith. I think, I, I think like, man, are you, are you thinking about this? Are you putting any effort into it? Have you really considered? Are you listening to my sermons? Because <laughs> I love it. Man, what's up with you? You're a Christian? And people will be like, oh, yeah, you know, man, like, God, I have problems and stuff. But, you know, like, church is great. Now life's good. I'm just like, please, please. Like, we've got to do better than that. Like, I just think if Jesus died on the cross for my sins and suffered immeasurably because of what I did wrong, the least I could do is like put some effort into preparing myself so that I can tell other people where to find the same hope. You gotta be ready. So here's how to share your story. Here's how to do it. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just trying to like 
Okay, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but, but seriously, it's for the benefit of a lot of people. It's gonna help so many people. Here's how to share your story. First, be humble, be humble, right? Remember, like, it's not about me. It's not about me and how awesome I am and how like, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, you know? Because the world is filled with this message of like, you can do it, just believe in yourself. And that's not what God says. Like, I'm not the hero of this story. I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where to get bread. And then be real. Be transparent about your problems and your flaws. Like, don't glaze over the things that you struggled with. You know, like, yeah, man, like, my bad. I did some stuff and, like, it wasn't good. No, like, be specific because it's in those moments of transparency, just like the video testimonies that we saw. That's what really gets other people's attention. Third, don't lecture. Like, you don't need to be a prosecuting attorney and point out everything wrong that someone else is doing or believing because nobody gets argued into heaven. Just tell your story and trust the Holy Spirit to convince people because he's the only one that can. And this is the most important part. Don't forget Jesus. Don't tell this story about how hard your life was and, and how it turned around and how much better it is now and leave out the star of the show because none of that would have been possible without Jesus Christ. He is the climax of your story. He's the point. He is the answer and the hope people are looking for. They might be inspired by you, but they're gonna be changed by Jesus. So tell people about Jesus. There are four action steps to take away from this series. The last four weeks you've been focusing on recovery. Here's the first step. First is commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. If you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Some people think, you know, ah, I'm still discovering, I'm not really sure, I've got questions, and like, I'm glad you're doing that, uh, but you can't be on the fence with Jesus. He said, you're either for me or against me. You've gotta be fully for him, or Jesus says, you're actually fully against him. Some people are like, I didn't even know that, I didn't even know, I'm actually an enemy of God if I haven't accepted Jesus, yes. But you don't have to stay that way. You just gotta commit your life to Christ. Stop trying to do it on your own and surrender your life to Jesus to save you. Here's the second thing, write your story out. This is just a little bit of homework, but I wanna just encourage all of you, even just like the highlights, the bullet points, write your story out. That will prepare you to share with other people. If you've never thought about it before, if you've never told anyone before and articulated it with words, you're not ready. No wonder God's not sending people your way because you're not ready to share. Once you write it out and prepare yourself, God can use you. The third thing is commit yourself to some church for support. You need to be a part of a church family. Either this church, you're welcomed here, or if you don't like this church, some other church, but you need to be committed. Not just go to church sometimes, but be committed. There was a study by Gallup in a poll that was released this week that said, compared to last year, Right now, there's only one demographic of people who have higher excellence of mental health, better levels of mental health. And they broke it down by demographic and age and race and income level, right? The only group who is mentally healthier right now than last year was people who go to church every single week. Come on, somebody. This 
this was like manna from heaven for a pastor. That's what I've been saying, right? Like that's what God says. It wasn't people who go once a month or once in a while. It was people who go every week. So commit. you can't get the benefits of being a part of the church unless you're fully plugged into the church. Until you're a part of the body of Christ, you can't get helped by the body of Christ. That means come every time, prioritize it, and fully engage, serve, be in a life group. And then lastly is ask God to send you opportunities to share your story. Just say, God, open my eyes to see people who are open to the gospel and give me the courage, the boldness to share my story for the good of other people. And when you're ready and willing and you give God the green light, he's gonna start putting people in your path. And the thing is, there are more people in your circle right now that you re- than you realize who are ready to hear the good news. Sometimes we don't see them because we're not ready and we're not looking. But when you open your eyes and you open your heart and you say, God, I want you to send people into my path so I can share the story of Jesus and how he's changed me, watch, watch out. Watch out, because God's gonna bring so many people across your path who you're gonna be able to help. You're gonna be like, I need a break, God. Like, he's just gonna wear you out, but it's gonna change people's lives. I wanna ask us just to take some time now to pray. If we can bow our heads for a moment. And I wanna do this. If you're here and you'd say, now, I wanna commit my life to Jesus today. I'm tired of sitting on the fence. I'm tired of being half in, half out. I need to go all in and surrender completely to God then I just wanna lead you in prayer right now. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's not just believing it, but true belief results in action. You act on it and you say, I'm gonna surrender to you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna follow you. You don't have to promise God that you'll be perfect. You just have to promise that you'll trust him. Just trust him and follow him. And he does all the hard work. He does the saving. And so if you're ready for that today, Let's just pray together. Just say, God, I need you to save me. I wanna fully commit my life to Jesus. I believe that he lived and died for my sins, that he rose again so I could have victory and live everlasting life. I thank you for loving me and always being with me, and I give you my heart. In Jesus' name.